Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Pigger, editor at the magazine. Uh, and for today's pod, uh, I'm going to talk, well, we're going to talk about age and wisdom, amongst other things. Um, and to do so, uh, I've got with me Bob Hoffman. Uh, Bob is author of five Amazon number one selling books about advertising. He's one of the most sought after international speakers on advertising and marketing. And one of his books, Bad Men, How Advertising Went from a Minor Annoyance to a Major Menace, exposed many of the dangerous data abuse practices that went on to make international headlines. It was selected as uh, Best of Marketing 2017. Uh, he's also the creator of the Ad Contrarian blog and newsletter, which was named one of the world's most influential marketing and advertising blogs by Business Insider. Uh, he's been uh, the CEO of two independent agencies, in, and in 2012, he was selected Ad Person of the Year by the San Francisco Advertising Club. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, Mike. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Um, I, uh, I almost attempted to do all of that in one breath. Um, I, uh, yeah, that would have been pretty... <laughs> impressive if you could do that yeah I, I try i try i had to cut some of it out in the end because i was like you know you, you have so many accolades which is which is great so uh <laughs> but people can go and read read about those or, or, or better yet they can they can just go and read your books so uh okay. that's probably a, a good place to start that um, is and uh we, we will get to the books though but um firstly i wanted to uh really just start with your your job title for those that don't know um so you've been chief Aggra aggravation officer of Taipei Group for about ten, almost ten years. Um, yeah, I was wondering, you chose that title, right? I read that, and um, yes, what's uh, what was the deal behind it? And, and and do you feel that the meaning of the title has changed over the years? Do you, do you look at it differently no. now? No, I, I, it's the same. I, you know, my my purpose is to be a pain in the ass to the marketing industry and the advertising industry and to uh, call them out when I think they're full of shit and uh, aggravate them. So that's what, uh, that's why, that's where the title came from. Do, do you find though that, you know, like this sort of the, if it's like can seem perhaps as a bit of uh, a punk rock title and uh, that sort of thing has impact initially. Um, do you feel that you have to kind of, reinvent yourself or the way that you think about aggravation as time goes on or have you sort of always kind of stuck to your guns in terms of how you thought about it yeah no i've i've always been a skeptical person and when i hear someone say something uh the first thing that comes to my mind is how do you know that and uh I, i've been that way since i was a kid and uh, it hasn't changed at all in the hundred years or so since I've been alive. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember I saw you uh, speak, I think it was Advertising Week Europe. I had to look up when it was because I think it was way back in 2014. Um, yes. I used to uh, I used to run around Advertising Week uh, trying to get to as many sessions as possible. So it was a bit exhausting, but most of them tended to blend together. Um, but I remember yours was, uh, I don't know if it was a rant or a call to arms, but it kind of really cut through. Um, and uh, I guess I guess that's, you know, I think that was the first time I'd, I'd seen you speak. Um, you know, it, it, do you feel that your that sort of contrarian side of you has kind of changed over over the years or? Not really. Know? No, I, <laughs> I've, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm very slow to evolve. And uh, what you saw in 2014 is pretty much the same way I feel today. Uh, that, that talk, by the way, um, 
was very influential in, in uh, launching my second career as a speaker. Uh, the last time I looked, over 80,000 people have, have looked at that speech online on YouTube. So uh, I think that uh, had a big effect on my becoming a, uh, a speaker. So was that one of your first talks then, or, or, or was it first talk sort of outside the U.S.? Or Yeah, it was one of the first outside the U.S. Um, I had spoken a lot, not a lot, but I had done a number of talks in the U.S., but that was the first. I'm not sure if it was the very first or one of the first that I did outside. Now, almost all my talks are outside the U.S. Uh, people here in the U.S. are sick of me. And I don't blame them. And but, uh, you know, I guess I'm still news in some parts of the world. Um, and uh, the other thing is that here in the U.S., almost all the um, almost all the big conference events have Google and Facebook as sponsors. And the last thing they want is for me there. So uh, I think the the conference organizers know who to book and who not to book. And I'm on the not to book list, probably. I remember once hearing about um, that, about advertising, where it was um, things that are seen as risky, uh, the level of risk, um, you know, a sort of a risky brand ad is, is seen as yeah. uh, differently in different parts of the world. Um, and uh, I, I guess maybe you can be a bit more risque with the things that you say. It, uh, the talk was in London at Advertising Week um, mm -hmm. versus perhaps the US. I mean, do you have to sort of tone things down where you are? Or no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't tone, tone things down anywhere I am. If uh, if I'm going to speak, I'm going to say what's on my mind, and uh, you know, sometimes I will. If there are sensitive people, I'll maybe use a slightly less profane language sometimes but um mainly i you know i i don't tailor my talks to the audience i tailor my talks to what i think is important mm. to 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 be said at 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 a given time and uh, i think that's uh you know fortunately i don't have to accept every speaking gig I'm offered and I don't have to go everywhere people want me to go I you know I only do the gigs I really want to do and, and you know part of that is to uh, be able to speak my mind otherwise I'm of I'm you know if I'm just going to go somewhere and say the same crap that everyone else is saying that I'm not adding any value I have to um, I have to be honest in what I think and you know sometimes it's annoying to people and sometimes it's upsetting but that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to upset people. I, I think a job of a writer is to make people uncomfortable. If mm. you're just going to write bland stuff that makes every, you know, everyone feel good, I don't think you're adding much value. And as a writer and a speaker, uh, I think the most important part of my job is to give people a fresh point of view on some stuff. Do you think it's kind of a bit more under the radar when it's just when it's when it's a writer when it's just words people can read your book but they're doing so quietly at home or or wherever versus speaking where you're saying those words out loud and people go oh well, hold on that's a bit strong or you know that's you know like it, it kind of it's a bit more subtle when it's it, it, when it's the book but then suddenly you're you're on stage saying these things you know 
Yeah, it, it's a different thing. And, you know, there are some people who are very good writers and not very good speakers. And there are some people who are very good speakers and not very good writers. And there are some people who can do a little of each. And uh, you're right. The, the impact is different from saying things and writing things. And, uh, you know, I can see it when I'm speaking. I can tell if I'm uh, upsetting people or not. Uh, you know, from the stage, you you can see the audience's faces and you know if you're, uh, usually, you know, if, if you're upsetting people or if you're telling them things that they already knew and believed. Uh, but, but sometimes you can't, sometimes it's hard to read a room. There are certain countries, you know, I've spoken in, you know, like 25 different countries. And there are some countries I speak in where I can read the room pretty well. I can tell if, you know, people are enjoying the talk or not. And, and then there are places where I can't tell, where people are very stone-faced and you just don't know what their reaction is. So uh, it's not always easy. Mm. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I, I suppose I'm, I know I'm dwelling on this a little bit, but um, yeah. uh, you know, there's a, one of the things I wanted to, to touch on was there's a, there's, a, there's a Byron Sharp quote I saw promoting your 2011 book, uh, 101 Contrarian Ideas About Advertising, where he said he wished he'd, uh, he'd be, he could be brave enough to be this rude, um, <laughs> which is, a, is a, sort of an interesting one because it's kind of, I guess, is a nice sort of shock quote for a book. Oh, my God, how rude is he? I'd better open the book and find <laughs> out. Um, but it kind of feels weird for mar marketing and advertising that, that that's a thing that, you know, um, uh, you're being rude or you're being brave or, you know, considering they're all marketers are supposed to shake things up or, you know, uh, you know, yeah. observe the human condition. I mean, what, why, why is it such a brave thing to be, to be rude, essentially? It, or, you know? It's not so brave. Uh, I don't consider myself brave at all. I, I happen to be lucky in that I don't have a job and I don't have any clients and I don't have to be careful about what I say. I can say whatever the hell I want. There's no one to fire me. So, uh, but you know, Byron has clients and, and everyone else in the marketing and advertising industry has clients and they have to be a little more careful about what they say because uh, it can get them fired. Or in, in my case, when I was, CEO of an agency, I couldn't speak my mind the same way I do now because I had employees. And if, if I said something that upset a client and the client fired us, it wasn't going to be me who lost his job. It's going to be 20 other people who are going to lose their job because I'm not going to fire myself. I'm going to have to fire some, you know, some people if the client leaves. And uh, so I had to be circumspect about what I said, and I had to be careful. And, you know, uh, w when you're CEO of an agency, you have to think about things beyond yourself. You can't just get on your high horse and say whatever you want. You have responsibility to other people. They have homes and families and cars and rent to pay. And so you, you have to be more careful. Fortunately, in the position I'm in now, I don't give a shit. I don't care. You know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say things just to just to upset people, but I'm not going to hold back to to protect myself or anyone else because I have no one to protect. Mm. I mean, does it all come back to kind of power, I suppose, in the end of your sort of 
if you've got the power, whether you're an agency or a brand client or whoever, um, versus not, then, then, you know, you can, you can sort of say whatever you want. Um, I, I had a question, for example, uh, that I was going to ask a bit later about, uh, you know, people like Elon Musk, cause you know, mm. he's almost a professional troll on Twitter, just kind of yeah. riling people up, but he's got so yeah. much power that he doesn't care. You know, it's, uh, is that, that sort of imbalance? I mean, yeah, how, but how he, do you deal he, with that? he's out of balance because <laughs> he's very inconsistent and um, he he has uh, he's responsible to a whole lot of people. By that I mean shareholders, uh, and I think he uh, does not accept that reality and that responsibility. You know, Tesla has lost what fifty percent of its value in the past six or seven months, and a lot of it has to do. Well, I'm not sure. A lot of it has to do, with, but some of it has to do with his big mouth. He never shuts up. He's always, uh, you know, the the government here in the U.S. now it was revealed this week is investigating him for some of the things he did during his attempted takeover of Twitter. And uh, he would he would do himself a, a big favor if he'd shut up for a few months and uh, and and get out of his own way because he's making nothing but trouble for himself and he doesn't have to. It's not necessary. But, uh, you know, there are there are some people who um, they're very rich and they think that makes them very smart. And that they have they have to have an opinion on everything, and everyone has to know their opinion on everything. And uh, he's one of them, and he really needs to uh, calm himself down for a while. I think. So we'll come back to ego. Sometimes the more sort of power you get, absolutely, the more ego. absolutely. Um, isn't that that thing about um, uh, most leaders of FTSE 100 companies share uh, traits right. with uh, sort of sociopaths um, or, <laughs> or the, the psychopath trait or something, isn't it? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. I was just sort of wondering, bringing it back to kind of uh, the ad industry um, a yeah. little bit. Um, uh, you know, we're talking about age and wisdom uh, this month in uh, the magazine. Um, and well, I, I have the at... I have the age. I'm not sure I have the wisdom. You've written a lot. So... You've written a lot of books. So there must be some wisdom yeah. in there somewhere. I think. Like... No, you know, it doesn't take wisdom to write a book. All it takes is a uh, perseverance. Takes is, is a com- <laughs> Is a computer keyboard, and you can write a book. Yeah, I always hear that about writers. They're the uh, the people with ideas that just don't give up, essentially. Um, so uh, you just keep going until you've written something. Um, but one of the pieces you wrote in the Media Leader in uh, September, I saw, was about how the ad industry never learns. Um, yeah. You know, we were talking about uh, Musk not shutting up, and uh, mm-hmm. in a in a little segue there about about learning lessons. Um, why, what, why do you think that's the case with the ad industry not learning? You know, have, have marketers gotten worse over time? Uh, yeah. Is, they used to learn what, and now they've forgotten? Or? <laughs> no, mar- advertising industry never learns anything. It's no better than, you know, I, I got in the advertising industry 100 years ago, and we're really arguing over the same things now that we were arguing over then. Um, and uh, if you look at the uh, effectiveness of advertising, it's probably less effective now than it was when I got into the business. And uh, so if you're learning, 
then there's an arrow of progress and you're getting better at it, right? Uh, you know, airplanes are way better than they were 50 years ago and cars are way better than they were. And, and medicine is way better than, but advertising is not better than it was 50 years ago, as far as I can tell. Now, that's just my opinion. Maybe there are people who think that advertising is wonderful now. I think it's actually substantially worse than it was. But um, the the point is, if there's no arrow of progress, then you're not learning. And, uh, you know, it's not just me who thinks that advertising is not as effective as it used to be. I think you, you talk to most marketing experts and they will agree with that. So you have to say, well, why is that? How can it be worse than it was when so much else is getting better. Now, one of the things is that it's not a hard, advertising is not a hard science, it's a soft science and you can't experiment on people. Although, you know, Facebook and uh, tries to, uh, but um, so it, it's not that easy. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's easy to get better at advertising, but I, and there are a number of reasons. Number one, you know, uh, another reason we don't learn is that the advertising industry is not run by advertising people anymore. It's been uh, consolidated and run by Wall Street Sharpies who are more interested, you know, they're interested in making money. I don't blame them. There's nothing wrong with that, but not at the expense of the um, art and science of advertising. And that's what has happened, I think. Uh, the other thing is, I don't think we're attracting the same quality of people as we once did. Um, I think it has, advertising has lost its, believe it or not, advertising was once, you know, the, the kind of the black sheep of the art world. And it was considered an art, not not a not a very high status art, but to some degree an art. I don't think anyone thinks of it as an art anymore. Um, so, uh, and I think creative people have more options than ever. And uh, so, I think we've lost some of the attractiveness to talented creative people, and consequently, the advertising is not as good. Uh, as it might be. Mm. It, 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 yeah, it makes me um, uh, it, it makes me think of somebody shared a uh, post the other day about um, uh, posters for movies and how yeah. they kind of all look the same now. They're all sort of stacked heads on top of each other, like the superhero yeah. movies. Um, yeah. And occasionally you'll get like a really artistic movie poster throughout the year, maybe five or 10 of them max. But considering uh -huh. you've got I don't know, 400 movies coming out. It's uh, it's less and less than uh, it used to be when you look back. And it's it's a sort of a similar thing where it's just almost data scienced down so that it's no longer, there's, like you say, there's no longer the art there or the creativity and they're sort of, you know, dripping away or being leached out of it. Um, I, I suppose moving on a little bit, I just, I, I wanted to talk about your new book that we mentioned. Um, yeah keeping on to the, the the theme of advertising where it's going but so the new book ad scam uh, yeah. how online advertising gave birth to one of history's greatest frauds and became a threat to democracy uh, alongside uh, yourself there's a there's another no nonsense and uh, plainly spoken marketer that I admire um, who's uh, I've seen speak before as well uh, David Weldon uh, yeah. he de he described your book as a tour de force um, yeah. what's the book about the book is about the dangers of tracking 
and it's dangerous in a number of ways. Uh, and it's dangerous because it harms individuals. We know that the worst governments in world history are the governments that knew everything about their citizens who followed them, who kept track of them, had secret files on them, knew who they were talking to and what they were talking about. <clears throat> and uh, so now it's not so much the government doing that as the marketing industry is doing that. And we don't know where that leads, but we do know we're starting to get some idea of where it leads. And I think where it leads is very, very bad and very dangerous. That's one reason tracking is bad. Second reason, tracking is bad, is that we also know that algorithms derived from the data that's collected by tracking has been, has been dividing, has been uh, dividing the population, been driving a wedge uh, into societies. Uh, there was a study by Facebook in which they found that about two-thirds of people who joined extremist groups on Facebook were sent there by Facebook's uh, recommendations. And where are their recommendations come from? From their algorithms. And where do the algorithms come from? From the data they collect through tracking. So that's another reason tracking is dangerous. Tracking is also dangerous for national security purposes. We've had um, the Senate here in, in the US and uh, the Congress here in the US uh, is very concerned about how um, foreign intelligence services are using tracking to spy on us and to undermine uh, national security. So there are a number of reasons why tracking is a dangerous thing. And um, I, I do not think it's essential to the online advertising industry to do tracking because they, you know, television and radio and print and outdoor, they have they have been six, very successful uh, at developing targets without spying on people, without surveillance. And there's no reason the online advertising industry can't do its targeting without spying on people and, and personal surveillance, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I think the, the regulators and the legislators have, have been very lax in their uh, development of regulations about tracking and have been even more lax in their enforcement of the regulations that they have developed. So all of that is part of the book. Is there anyone else talking about this stuff at the moment? Or you yeah. know, what, what sort of made you focus on this area? I mean, obviously, it's an important area. But like, yeah. I, I wonder, is, is there much sort of global conversation going on about this sort of thing? Or? I think there is starting to be. Um, I think that there are people a lot smarter than me who are, you know, I'm just, what I am is a... Uh, I'm a popularizer. I'm not a researcher. There are other people doing the research, and I kind of learn from them and write about it, popularize it to some to some degree. But it's something I've been interested. I wrote my first piece about this in uh, 2010. I wrote a piece called uh, "Big Brother Has Arrived and He's Us" for Ed Week Magazine, 
And so this is not something new for me. This is something I've been writing about for over a decade. At the beginning, I was, you know, I was seen as some kind of idiot who didn't didn't get it. Um, uh, now there are, I think there are a lot more people who are seeing the dangers in this um, and are writing about it and speaking about it. The, 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 the truly irresponsible people, I think, here in the U.S. at least, are the people who run our trade organizations, the 4As and the, uh, and the ANA. 4As is the American Association of Advertising Agencies, and uh, the ANA is the Association of National Advertisers. And then there's the IAB, the Interactive Advertising Bureau. And these people are totally, totally irresponsible. They have fought every serious attempt to um, put some kind of limits on tracking. And uh, they have uh, backed every you know, initiative to expand uh, tracking of people. And they're just, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're worse than useless. And uh, I, I, I don't understand it because I know for the most part, they're good people. I just don't understand why they uh, they have fallen into this cesspool of uh, irresponsibility. Do you think there's some kind of conflict of interests going on, or like um, I don't know, they're they're com compromised in some way, or you know they're being pressured or lobbied? Um, sure, they are. Sure, they are. I mean, think about it. Uh, advertising, and I'm, I'm not sure about this number, but I think the last thing I read is that ad agencies are getting 40% of their revenue from digital uh, media these days. So is, so is the, uh, the 4As going to tell advertising agencies, oh, you should stop what you're doing uh, as far as tracking? You should... Uh, uh, no, they're not because they, you know, they want to keep their jobs. <laughs> they don't want to be fired. But, you know, the, the, the big... Uh, ad holding companies are very, very powerful and have lots and lots of money. And they, and you know, if, if some person in the foray says, "Oh, by the way, we think you should stop tracking," they're gonna, they're gonna steamroll them in half a second, and they'll be out of work. And uh, so they're, you know, I, I think they know that it's bad and that it's wrong. I just don't think they have the guts to do anything about it. Kind of feels like a lot of things, really, like, uh, you know, talking about some, um, I don't know, climate change or anything else. It's like we're sort of sleepwalking towards danger, humanity in many directions at the moment. Yeah, I'm not even sure we're sleepwalking. I think we're kind of uh, racing Skip. there. Yeah, <laughs> Skipping, skipping yeah. happily. <laughs> skipping and hopping, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I wondered, like, with advertising, we, we sort of touched on it a little bit, yeah. but like... Um, you know this sort of reliance on data or, or reliance on, on on tracking almost replacing i don't know the 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 art and the creativity perhaps um and i'm what i guess i'm wondering um so th there's a question that I, I wanted to sort of get to where uh, i was looking at an article you wrote in uh on linkedin in april uh called advertising's first responders where you talked about fame um, yeah, and it put me in mind of a discussion I had with the uh, with authors uh, Paul Feldwick and Faris Yaka, yeah. where we talked yeah. about the nature of fame and attention. Um, yeah. And I, I sort of wonder sometimes if you know brands are kind of replacing 
you know, the, the sort of chase for fame for that kind of the data tracking and and things like that instead. Um, yeah. And uh, you you said in the article, sort of fame is no guarantee of success, but it is the most reliable brand driver. Um, can, can we dig into that a little bit? What, what did you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are two different issues here. First, let, let's talk about data. There's nothing. Data is just you know, fancy word for information. And there's nothing wrong with data. There's nothing wrong with having information. Information is very important when you're doing advertising and marketing. You have to have it. But it doesn't replace thinking and imagination. Data is little bits of information. And it's useless unless someone can take those little bits of information, put them together, and develop an idea. And, um, you know, I equate it to data is bricks. And until someone puts it together to make a house, it's useless. It's just a bunch of bricks laying around. So so the important thing is the human element, because if you have you can take one you can take a set of data and give it to a bad advertising agency and they will come up with crap and then you'll take the same data and give it to a good agency and they'll come up with something brilliant so the the data is not the distinguishing factor it's not what makes the difference it's the it, it's the imagination and the intelligence of the people evaluating the data and working with the data who make it something either valuable or something useless. Okay, that's one thing. One of the problems with data, as we are using it now in the advertising industry, is that that it is driving us to more personalization of advertising. We think that if we have, uh, you know, data on uh, Bob Hoffman, we can create advertising directly to him and put it directly on him, and that's going to be more effective. It's a very narrow way of thinking, and advertising doesn't work that way. Advertising works in big, broad, general ways by creating fame. Fame is the most important thing that advertising can create. And if you look at all the world's biggest brands, the most successful, what do they all have in common? They're all famous. Okay. And how did they get famous? They didn't get famous by talking to people one-to-one. They got famous by talking to everyone in big terms, in big media. That's how you become famous. And, uh, you you know, one-to-one precision targeted advertising is uh, private advertising. And big advertising is public advertising. And you don't become famous in private. You become famous in public. And that's what uh, that's the most important thing that advertising can do, in my opinion. And uh, I, uh, I think we have forgotten that. And I think it's, it's much easier to work with data than it is with imagination. Because data you can put on a chart and show to your to your boss imagination is very hard to uh to sell it's much easier to sell stuff built on data than it is to sell ideas built on imagination so we default to what's easier to sell you know in the advertising business not just externally to consumers but internally to your bosses and to your clients, you're always selling. 
and it's a lot easier to sell stuff that uh, is logical and has data behind it than it is to sell stuff that is not logical and only has imagination behind it. And uh, and so therefore, the whole idea, I, you know, I, uh, I'm obviously not the first person in the world to think that fame is the most important thing that advertising creates, uh, you know, 50 years ago, people were saying that, but I think we've forgotten it and we need to be reminded of what advertising is really about. Do you, do you think some brands try and sort of, um, I don't know, cheat their way to fame a little bit, or um, I don't know, they try and skip, you know, uh, skip a few steps, um, maybe, I don't know, celebrity endorsements or something, uh, you know, to try and get there faster? Yeah, there, there, are, there are many ways to achieve fame. And pretty much all of them are good. Um, you know, you can achieve fame through public relations. You can achieve fame through association with famous people. You can achieve fame through uh, um, stunts. You can achieve fame because the press falls in love with you and loves to write about you. I mean, Tesla became famous that way. And so did, so did uh, Google and Facebook became famous that way. The most expensive way to achieve fame is through advertising. But it's also the most reliable way to achieve fame because you can buy your way into it. All those other methods you can't buy your way into. So, um, uh, so yeah, are, are, are there shortcuts to fame? There are some shortcuts to fame that people like to use. The, 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 you know, I, I think the most popular uh, in the past few years has been um, endorsers. You know, hiring famous people to endorse your product. And, that, you know, it works to some extent. It works short term. But um, it's uh, if it's achieving fame for you, it's good uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I, I don't have uh, any moral uh, issues with uh, how you achieve fame. Uh, I guess maybe I do, but <laughs> let's take that back. Let's say, uh, you know, any way that you can achieve fame is good for your brand uh, if it's not destructive to your reputation. Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, obviously there are, uh, you know, some um, uh, brands that have become famous, but for perhaps the wrong reasons these days where uh, it feels like the world has um uh, now has values that perhaps it didn't five, 10 years ago, 20 years sure. ago. Um, sure. So you, you have to tread a finer line when it comes to getting your fame. If, if it's just all about the money, for example, then that doesn't yep. work, et cetera. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I'm and, always curious about that line between brand purpose and sort of, you know, making money, how yeah. people tread that. And, and there are, uh, fame is no guarantee of success. I want to be clear about that. There are plenty of famous brands that are not doing well, but it is the most reliable indicator of success. Uh, and uh, that, you know, if I if I ran a company, I always say that my uh, my brief to my agency and to my marketing people would be this: make us famous. That, that would be the brief. 
Yeah, it's kind of the, the hardest thing to achieve, though, perhaps. Or I don't yeah, know. <laughs> it is very. It's very hard to achieve. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it, it's the mo- most worthwhile uh, value of advertising. Mm. Yeah, I guess you can maybe do a couple of things like short-term fame and long-term fame. I don't know if that's possible, um, or, or is, fame, is fame always long-term? Perhaps it is. There, there are brands that become famous and evaporate. Uh, it happens all the time. Uh, they become famous for a year or, or you know, six weeks, and then they evaporate. And uh, so it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. And, uh, you know, you need smart people to do it. And, uh, and advertising is one way to do it. And but it's an expensive way to do it. Mm. We're, we're sort of running out of uh, coming to the end of our time uh, okay. discussion, but so I just wanted to, um, you know, perhaps uh, wrap up. But we can sort of briefly come back to your to your book. So uh, yeah, uh, how how is the uh, how is the book going? How is it being received? Are you doing the, talks on the book coming up? Or? Yeah, the book is doing exceptionally well. Uh, I, I just checked on Amazon this morning, and it's the number one seller in three different business categories. So that's great. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. And um, yeah, I'm doing some talks. I'm going to be speaking in uh, Brussels and Amsterdam and London uh, within the next uh, 10 or so weeks. And uh, yeah, so it, and, you know, I'm very happy with how it's doing. It's getting it's getting recognition. It's getting very good reviews. And uh, I was worried about it because the book is kind of, you know, it could have been three or five times longer than it was. But I wanted to keep it short and to the point so that people who aren't tech nerds can read it and try to understand. It's more impressionistic than it is academic you know mm. what i'm saying so so there's you know maybe 30 or 40 essays and um they leave an impression that i hope is equal to the impression you'd get from four or five hundred pages of uh detail which i which I which I tried not to write, and plus I'm too lazy to write four or five hundred pages, but I, I never admit to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you see, you say you say uh, there was lots of material left out, so you know what my next yeah. question is going to be. You know, it's, yeah. it's uh, the next book, I suppose. But add scam two, or where, where, are we going to see that? No, no, you're not. What you're going <laughs> to see is I'm doing an audio only book. Okay. And it's going to be called The Simple Art of Advertising. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be about my thoughts on how how we get back to the fundamentals of advertising and stop wasting time, energy, and money chasing fantasies. And uh, I hope it's going to be interesting. And it's going to include... Uh, some chats like the one we're having today, and it's also go- going to include some narration. And uh, I'm hoping it's going to be interesting, but uh, I'm working on it. I hope to get it out before the holidays. We'll see. Oh, so th- this year then? Or I, you know, I have a very ambitious goal. I doubt that I'll make it, but I'm going <laughs> to give it a shot. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you if you don't if you don't uh, aim, uh, you don't swing for it, then you you don't make it, do you? So right, uh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, uh, I need to take that advice with my own writing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna look to you <laughs> and your output of books and uh, and get on get on with it and stop messing around. Yeah. Um, okay, well, uh, you know, this we could obviously go on forever, but um, I will put links in the show notes to your book and to uh, to perhaps to your talks as well coming up, so people can come and see you. Um, but for now, um, yeah, just uh, Bob, thanks so much for coming on the uh, Media Cat Magazine podcast. Thank you very much, Mike. It's been a pleasure.